John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Our second Bible reading is also in the book of John, and um, but flick to the back of the book in chapter 20, and I'll be reading from verse 24 through to 31. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Hey, have you ever Googled God before? Maybe. You don't have to answer it. Rhetorical question. Australians are a curious bunch, though, when it comes to God and spirituality. For example, in the COVID pandemic, the Google searches for prayer went up 40%. And then in 2020, 2021, we saw the census data. There is this huge rise now in, in spirituality and non-religion. So yes, a move away from traditional Christian uh, values and thinking. But at the same time, there you go. Um, there's still a belief in something else out there. So McCrindle did some research around the same time as the census. 58% of Australians believe in a higher power. say they believe in miracles, and about 59, there's life after death. See, we're curious in Australia. But we haven't really got clarity on who this other being is. And that's where today's big question comes in. If God showed himself to us, he'd be worth believing in. Or perhaps you'd like to reword it, and this is fine too. If I was God, I'd make myself much clearer. Maybe you've thought that. 
Maybe you're here today and you're wondering that yourself. And it's a great question, actually. Really, really good question. Australians love concrete facts, stories, relatable things that we can see, taste, and touch. So we're going to kick around this question today. And as we get off to a start, I would like you just to turn to the people around you to get us thinking. And you've got two minutes. I want you to ask the person this question. If you knew... Oh, what are we doing? We're in the very end of my slides. They're all over the shop. Oh, well, this will be fun. That's the, at the end of today's talk, <laughs> please talk about what that. But at the start of the talk, I want you to ask the question, and I think you, you, can, you can get it. It's going to be fun. If you knew God would give you one answer to any question, and God sat next to you right now, and you said you got one chance, one question, whatever it could be, I would tell you point blank the answer. What would that question be? Okay? One, one, one question to God, direct answer, he will give it to you. Just, just two minutes, talk to those around you, and uh, I'll, I'll call you back in just a moment, just to get us thinking. So as we approach this big question today, thank you, by the way, for, uh, for, for chatting. I know that I put you on the spot, there wasn't a lot of time. I'm sure you can think of other things uh, as we go along. But here's what I want us to see as we begin. What if, what if we aren't as self-aware and sure about this as we think, what we need to believe. What if God in his kindness knows you and me better than we know ourselves? And what if the sign that I think I need to believe is a little bit different to what God knows I need to believe? And that's where our Bible reading comes in from today. It's from the biography of Jesus' life, and Bible scholars often refer to the Gospel of John as the sign gospel. That is, John the author writes this about Jesus, recording all the signs he's done so that we could consider the claims of Jesus and who he is. And he says it in the very last verse up on the screen. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. What does that mean? God is not playing a giant cosmic game of guess who. In fact, God's activity in the world can be divided into three helpful categories that we can know Him. The first one is creation. The belief that God made all there is. He's the divine mind and the actions behind our universe. There's an Australian uh, theologian and scientist called Nick Hawkes, and, and he said this to me a few weeks ago. He said, science and faith both have their origins in God. Science answers how, theology answers the question why. We need both of them. In fact, he's just quoting Psalm 19 verse 1 that says God speaks to us through creation. It's just a media, a means by which God's word gets through to us. Then we have providence. We don't often talk about this, providence, but just think about it as the way that God continues to maintain his world, right? His ordinary working. So, for example, the sun rises and sets. And God is delighted to keep that happening every single day. In fact, uh, British uh, author G.K. Chesterton illustrated this point really wonderfully. He said, It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but he's never got tired of making them. God is strong enough to exult in monotony. Or he's really just talking about Psalm 147, which talks about God's ability to maintain creation in the way he does. But then we have what we're going to concern ourselves with today, signs and miracles, signs and wonders. 
And I think the best way to define a, a miracle and a sign, and this is how I'll use that word today, comes from um, a guy called John Frame. You've never heard of him, don't worry. Um, he just says this, it's a vivid demonstration of the presence and lordship of God in his world. A vivid demonstration of the presence and lordship of God in his world. So parting the Red Sea, the famous account in Exodus 14, God used an east wind to do that. When Jesus gave a miraculous catch of fish in John, uh, Luke chapter 5, Peter recognized the lordship of Jesus in that moment and did not say, wow, how did you do that? He said, Lord, I'm a sinful man in front of you. You're amazing. You see, the writers of the Bible knew God was working his power as he used creation to bring about his lordship so people could see that. And that's the point. To bring people to a point of saying, wow, God is amazing. Look at his power. Which leads us to ask, can we expect God to do miracles today? Well, if a miracle is God's extraordinary demonstration of his lordship, then God will do a miracle for his own reason, to make himself known in a particular way. So yes, I would expect them at times. But because it's extraordinary, you should not expect God to do a miracle because you want him to. God does not promise us that. I also want to say that miracle and providence are really similar as well. Both are wonderful. Both are reason to praise God. God gives food to the animals, maintains oxygen in the world. The images we see from the James Webb telescope, they're to look at and go, wow, look at the God behind them. I was having dinner in my house, as you'd often do, and a friend was there who's not a Christian, and he said to me, look at these pictures. Isn't all this wonderful? And I said, yes, we're both looking at the same pictures. And I say, isn't God great? And you say, huh. And he said, I never thought of it that way. But my problem, and maybe this is yours, it's not that I don't see this. I do. I just miss God in my life. And it comes back to my initial thought there's a sense that maybe being able to believe isn't necessarily what I think I need. Perhaps God will do exactly what you want. But would you really believe or would doubt just kick in even further? You see, God knows you really, really well. And because God knows us really well, he's made a concrete, repeatable, consistent, reliable way of helping us believe in him. Do you know what that is? It's through the preaching and the pointing of people to Jesus. One example comes from the book of Acts, chapter 13, all who have been appointed to eternal life believed, it says. However, pause, perhaps you're thinking, you have to be joking, Luke. I need something more extraordinary than a mundane church song or a boring bit of the Bible to believe in God. That's not going to cut it. I get that. But what if God in his wisdom uses the ordinary more often Because he's aware that no spiritual experience or earth-shaking sign is as impressive as who he is and all those signs and what they point to. So C.S. Lewis was the guy who wrote the Narnia books, a very famous author. And he was convinced of the truth of Jesus while traveling in a motorbike sidecar on the way to the zoo. And he said to me, Luke, what happened? What earth-shattering sign happened in that motorbike ride? And the answer is, nothing. He says, I hopped in the motorbike sidecar. My brother was driving, did not believe in God at all. I got out and I stepped off and said, Jesus is Lord. What happened in that ride? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Except for the past 34 years, through conversations and doubt and investigating and thinking and pondering and reading and thinking, slowly but surely, 
belief in God was awoken, and in that noisy, mundane motorbike ride, it just happened. So God invites you to think and doubt and consider. But God also knows what he's doing. Just like we meet Jesus in John's gospel. And our reading today told of two people who did not believe in Jesus, but then Jesus showed up and they saw him differently. And the first one, we'll look at them too, Nathaniel and then Thomas. And Nathaniel reckons the claims about Jesus have nothing good in them. Nathaniel, nothing good in them. So Jesus shows up and he calls Philip. And he just says, Philip, follow me. And Philip does. Now that's significant, not because Jesus wants to build his social media profile. It's that in verse 45 of John's gospel, Philip was convinced Jesus was indeed the one whom all the prophets had written about. He says, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, this son of Joseph from Nazareth. You see, once Philip believes, he runs to tell others, no, I'm onto a good thing. But Nathaniel has problems with his claim. His issue, Nathaniel's issue, isn't belief in God. He's quite happy to grasp there's more going on in the world than just his little patch. What he's objecting to is the way that God's revealing himself. It's one of those, if God was good, he wouldn't do this or he would do that type questions. But for Nathaniel, it goes like this. God would never come from Nazareth. It's a small, blink-and-you-miss-it town. Can anything good, he says, come out of Nazareth? You see, the claim that Jesus fulfills the prophets and all the Old Testament, what they wrote about, and Moses too, for the last 1,500 years or so, well, hold on, that location just doesn't square with me. That's not what I want God to do. He shouldn't come from there if this is the Messiah. And maybe you're in a similar situation today. You don't like the way God has self-identified as Jesus. You look at his followers and think they're hypocrites. You don't like that Jesus is a male. You don't like that belief in him seems to do more harm than good or that it's too absurd and irrelevant and even backwards to consider any claim and belief in God. And then Philip, upon hearing that, he's, he's so great, he cracks out Genesis 1 and goes through the whole Old Testament. Oh, no, he doesn't actually. He just says, come and see. Come and see. Philip knows what Nathaniel needs is to look at these claims for himself. He isn't sent on a mission to get Nathaniel at this point. He's ju- he just convinced Jesus is really worth believing in. He tells Nathaniel. But in all this, it's okay because Jesus already knows about Nathaniel. This skeptical, doubting Nathaniel with a very low view on Jesus, not convinced there's anything good going to come from this. He walks up to Jesus now. And the first thing Jesus does is to compliment him. Listen to what he says. Ah, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Whatever Nathaniel thinks of Jesus, Jesus has a much higher view of him. To say a true Israelite affirms his belief in God, his heritage, his identity. And maybe you need to hear this today as well, that Jesus thinks way more highly of you than you think of him. And even what you think of yourself. He knows all about your history and your curiosity, where you've come from, how you arrived here today, what's going on in your life. He knows all about that. How do you feel hearing that from Jesus? Well, that shocked Nathaniel, actually. He says, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus, at this point, has never met Nathaniel. But long before this, Jesus saw him. From before he was born to the moment he was under the fig tree, and Philip found him. 
As a side, if you ever get into a God conversation, don't forget Jesus sees and knows the person you're talking to. You see, Philip may have found Nathaniel, but in Jesus' eyes, Nathaniel never needed to be found. He knew, Jesus knew exactly where he was all this time. I mean, Jesus then says, I saw you when you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And that's the sign. It's that Jesus knew Nathaniel was under the tree. It's, is that what Nathaniel thought he needed to believe? Nope. But it's what God knew he needed. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. It, it, it's all fallen into place. He uses the, languages of the, the language of the prophets to talk about Jesus, and it's, it's the puzzle pieces have landed. What, what Philip said was correct. It's right. There's one more thing that needs to be said, though, at this point. And it goes to the idea that Jesus knows what we need and the trouble of missing God in the ordinary. Listen to this, this caution in 50 and 51. Jesus says, You believe because I told you I saw you under the tree. Well, you will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is a curious, strange moment, but it would draw a true Israelite like Nathaniel and Philip back to their ancestor, Jacob. Jacob had a dream of a ladder in which angels were going up and down from heaven on it. And here Jesus says, hey, you know that? I, I am the true ladder to heaven as the son of man. Jesus is the connecting point between heaven and earth. And what Jesus wants him to see is that believing in Jesus is one thing, but it should push him to believe that this Jesus is the one to come down and through that the blessing of belonging to God happens. Yep, he's the one all those prophets and people told about long ago. So wrap this one up. Jesus' lordship is seen in him knowing all about Nathaniel. But not everyone thinks that way, right? Thomas, a good example, final example. He was of the opinion that unless I can see and touch, I won't believe. So Thomas gives a math formula. See plus touch equals belief, right? And I reckon most Aussies are Thomas. Some believe we should not accept anything unless it can be verified by evidence to our senses. Sight, hearing, touch, that. that. Now, sense experience is a widely accepted and it's a very good criteria for belief. But it's not the only one, and nor is it the most valid. Never seeing something or hearing something does not mean it does not exist. The question is, how is Jesus going to address this one? So at this point in John's writing, Jesus has he's, he's died, he's come back to life, and he's been appearing to his friends for a while. But poor Thomas, he wasn't there when Jesus showed up. Don't know why, but his friends tell him. He says, we've seen the Lord, all the disciples. You see, objections, objections to Jesus' resurrection aren't new. Right here, Days after his death, one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus and saw the historical Jesus eat, sleep, talk, he struggled with it. Our ancestors are not more gullible in believing in the resurrection. And so Thomas throws down a challenge. Boom. Hey, unless I see the nail marks and and put my fingers where the nails were and then put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then for seven days, do you know what happens? Nothing happens at all. But in those seven days, Thomas didn't walk away from his friends. He didn't dismiss them as lunatics. Because a week later, 
They're indoors together, having a meal. It's a locked room. It's private. Let everyone shock. Jesus comes and then just stands in the middle of them. And he says, uh, peace be with you. The locked doors, the closed mind of Thomas weren't obstacles to the risen Jesus. Just as a door isn't a barrier to Jesus, Thomas's belief isn't a barrier to Jesus showing up either. And it turns out too that this is great. Jesus heard Thomas's little challenge. And the first thing he says is, we've seen peace to you. And that's to stop the shock, I think, at one level. You just don't expect Jesus to show up when he does in the way he does. Here's the thing. Be prepared. If you ask for a sign, God will listen and maybe he'll actually do that. But don't think you can pencil God into your calendar either. And say, Jesus, you will show up Monday morning at 9.30 after my morning coffee, please. Thank you. God is quite happy to leave you a week or a year so he can do what he does best. But when he does show up, know that he's there to bring peace. At his birth, the angels said, peace on earth to those whom God favors. In John's gospel, we've seen evidence of Jesus undoing sin's destructive, chaotic nature to show that his reign in his kingdom over his world and his people will be one of peace. And it all begins when Jesus shows up to you and says, peace be with you. And then he looks at Thomas in verse 27 and says, stop doubting, believe. See my hands, get your fingers out, pop them in, you know. I love you to bits, Thomas. Stop doubting, believe. And the kicker for Thomas is that he doesn't actually touch Jesus' hands or side. Thomas needed to see Jesus with a new mind. That is, if Jesus is just a man who died, then his claims are not good enough. It'd be too much to expect salvation from a dead saviour. But when Thomas, like Nathaniel, saw beyond the just the man and realised God was there, he said, my Lord and my God. Now, they're just two examples of Jesus knowing the person and what they need to believe and being quite happy to bring them in their own way and his own way to belief in him. However, there's a group of people in this story we haven't looked at in both. And I'll finish looking at this person or these people, because while a few of you may be like Thomas and Nathaniel, I know that lots of us are also like their friends. We really do want others to know and share the goodness of God in Jesus. We're convinced he's the best news. And it's these friends that are often the sign of God that people need. Notice simply the wisdom the friends who got into conversations about God. What did they say? What did they do? We found Jesus. Come and see. The friends knew questioning and exploring and who Jesus is were important. Come and see for yourself. They heard the doubts, the challenges. They didn't try to answer them all at once. They didn't brush them off as insignificant or unimportant either. They simply let God be God and invited them to see Jesus for themselves. So, here's how a conversation may go Monday morning. You're at work, on the coffee run maybe, and something comes up on the news, and one of your friends at work says to you, you know, these, these strange, weird Christians, if this belief in God's real, I need a sign. What do you say? Here's what you could say. It's on the screen. Hey, it's great you're thinking about God. I reckon if you look into the Jesus of the Bible, it might help you to get to know the God you're asking a sign from. Sometimes just realizing God exists is a great start. That could be helpful. Or someone might say, 
Ugh. You know, if I don't see proof, I never believe. I need proof. And you could say, well, maybe God will show up just the way you want in a little while. I can't say for sure. But until he does, would you like to explore some of the claims of Jesus in the Bible? Because it might be a great way to help you see when God does show up. And these sorts of questions that people have, they tell me that the McCrindle research is accurate, as is your friends, because we're addressing the top three or four big questions that they had as well. You see, there's a hunger to more of life, even in a post-Christian world. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus claims to be the all-satisfying bread of life, that he's aware of our questions and our doubts. And so friends, be sensitive to that. Understand how hard life can be. Invite people to consider the Jesus of the Bible for themselves. And know this, as you chat and as you listen, Jesus holds out a great promise and a great blessing to all of us today. Because after Thomas believes, Jesus says to him in verse 29, blessed are those who have not seen Jesus physically and yet believed. And that's true for each of us in this room. It's true Monday morning at work or your gym friends on Wednesday night. And so to all of you here who are curious about this God and this Jesus, may I put this to you? What if the evidence you need to believe in God, the sign, has actually been the last 22 minutes? What if God has been reaching out to you, tapping on the shoulder all your life, and you've never noticed? What if today was the day you said along with Thomas, my Lord, my God, or Nathaniel, you are the Son of God. And if that's not you yet, and you're curious, great, we have a life course coming up, and you're welcome to come to that to explore this Jesus more. But here's the thing, we, we, over coffee, now I think this question will be here. Aha, there you go. To wrap this up, to be in awe of God, to, to know that the God who is consistent, reliable, has revealed himself in Jesus, is at work in all of your lives, and each of you have that know him will have stories to share about that. Share with someone over morning tea. What amazes you about this God? You know, the awe and wonder of Jesus. Let that be what's on your heart and mind as you leave here today and share that with someone. What amazes you about God? What is it that just you love him to bits? It could be different tomorrow or today, whatever. Just share that. And if you don't have that awe and love of God, that's fine. Pray that some, ask someone to pray for you. Oh, I don't have it. I know I should, but I don't. Help me. Pray. I'd love to pray for you too. So let's do that now as we close. A wonderful God, you are not silent. You're not playing a cosmic guessing game. You reveal yourself through creation, through providence, through signs and wonders, and most wonderfully, concretely, perfectly through Jesus the Christ. And so, Father, I pray each of us would be in awe and be filled with joy that you are a God who speaks and is real and alive, forgives and makes new. And that if we don't know you in that way, Lord, just help us grasp you just a little bit more today and then again tomorrow and the day after. And then maybe we'd be like C.S. Lewis. We'd hop on the motorbike and we'd hop off and suddenly we'd know Jesus is Lord. May you be given the glory. Amen.